Hello, everyone. Previously, I did a broadcast looking at the history of zombies. Now, if you missed that one, feel free to check it out. Uh, I've been told that it's electric gold, a journey of enlightenment that is not to be missed. Uh, however, uh, if you don't have time, in that episode, I mentioned that zombies are a strictly modern idea originally stemming from the voodoo religion of Haiti. There are, however, other examples of things throughout history that are almost zombies, but not quite. And in this episode, we're going to look at pre-Haitian undead. Uh, and undead, by the way, is anything that was dead and now lives again. And so we're going to take a look at some of these uh, uh, examples of pre-Haitian undead, as well as why I don't consider them to be true zombies. Uh, first, though, we need to think about what exactly makes something a zombie to begin with. Uh, so, you know, zombies are one of those things like obscenity, uh, difficult to define, but we know it when we see it. Uh, well, I thought about all of the different zombie movies throughout the years and commonalities between them, and I think I came up with a pretty good list of criteria. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you my, my life's crowning achievement, my Ninth Symphony, my Gormenghast, my Sistine Chapel, Flynn's Great Zombie Checklist, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Okay, so first of all, for something to be a zombie, it needs to be corporeal. In other words, it has to have a body. No mystery there. Uh, if it doesn't, then it's a ghost, right? Uh, notice that I didn't say it had to be dead. All right, second, it has to be non-sorceress, no magic powers. Uh, zombies are considered low-level undead, generally not particularly dangerous, as long as you keep your wits about you. And magic powers kind of take things to a whole new level. So third, it can't be skeletal by nature. Uh, now, though some zombies, like those in Tombs of the Blind Dead, are skeletal due to decay, they could theoretically have flesh on the bones. Whereas many video games uh, have skeletal enemies that have statistics and behavior uh, that are, are wholly different from their zombie counterparts. So third, fourth rather, it has to be non-vampiric. Now this kind of leads to uh, the question of what it means to be vampiric. Uh, for example, the zombies in Return of the Living Dead have to eat brains to relieve the pain of being dead. Is that vampirism? Well, uh, we don't have time to get too deep into that here. But anyway, non-vampiric. All right, next, it has to be numerous. That, that is, there, there have to be more than one. Or if not, then it has to be of a low threat level. You see, as we saw earlier, zombies aren't too much of a threat by themselves. It's their numbers combined with human foolishness that causes them to win out against us in the end. Uh, later, we'll see some examples of things that are almost zombies, but just one in number. And usually, these things are bad news, often running amok in a community and killing several people before being defeated. And that level of power is very unzombie-like. Now, finally, it has to be illogical due to extraordinary means. 
notice I chose my words very carefully here. Uh, the impaired logic is because, once again, of the film Return of the Living Dead. Uh, now, in this movie, the monsters are clearly zombies, but they can problem solve and have conversations. However, they also have a hunger for brains that makes them irrational. You can't make alliances or befriend these zombies. And that's important because logic is what separates us from them. It's what kind of makes zombies so unsettling. They sort of resemble us, but they lack the mental faculties that make us human. Now, as for the extraordinary means qualifier, well, again, it's kind of debate, debatable what counts as extraordinary, but, but this is important because without it, uh, a group of drunks stumbling around downtown on a Saturday night could technically be a zombie horde. Uh, anyway, that's my checklist. Now, it's not perfect. Uh, for example, mutants like those in the 1984 movie Chud could technically be considered zombies uh, by this metric. And maybe you could make a strong argument that they are. And anyway, and there are always exceptions, right? You know, the occasional smart zombie that stands apart from the crowd. But in any case, I think this list works pretty well for our purposes today. Okay, so with that settled, what we're going to do is go through history from the beginning and look at anything that could be a zombie. We'll use my zombie test on it and determine if it's a zombie or not, and then see what the oldest incidence of a true zombie is, if it is indeed the Haitian voodoo zombie or something else. All right, so as you can imagine, fear of the undead is almost as old as humankind. Now, in the summer 2015 issue of Popular Archaeology, Kerry Soluski Weaver mentions that there is evidence dating as far back as the Neolithic period that people in the Mediterranean, around like Greece and Italy, would bury their dead in ways that prevented the bodies from rising again. For example, they'd bury them with heavy jars or stones over the bodies. And experts think this was to prevent them from, well, probably running around and killing people. Uh, however, that's all we know. Uh, we don't really have enough information as to how these ancient Greeks would expect uh, the risen dead to look or act. And I should mention that, while I can't say for sure, it seems to me that maybe the ancient people didn't necessarily separate corporeal undead like zombies and incorporeal undead like ghosts. I'm not totally sure about that, but I kind of have a hunch that for them, either someone was dead or undead and the exact details it didn't really matter. All right, so probably the oldest written reference of something that approximates a zombie comes from the Sumerian legend of the descent of Ishtar. Now here, Ishtar, or Inanna, the goddess of love, visits Ereshkigal, the goddess of death, and threatens to bring up the dead to eat the living, and the dead will outnumber the living. Well, that sounds like zombies to me, but keep in mind, this is only a threat and this never happens. Uh, likewise, in uh, Ezekiel 37 from the Bible, we have Ezekiel raising the dry bones and they become covered with flesh. Now, the description is kind of zombie-like, but this is a vision that, uh, as far as I know, represents the people of Israel. Ezekiel doesn't actually lead 
an army of zombies, although that would be kind of cool. <laughs> All right, uh, next we go to ancient Greece, uh, back in the Mediterranean once again. Now, uh, Pausinia, uh, let me do that again, Pausanias and Strabo, who are ancient Roman authors, mentioned a Greek story about a murdered uh, criminal who comes back from the dead and kills a bunch of people until a famous boxer defeats it. Uh, although, <clears throat> I read uh, one of these accounts myself, and the translation calls this creature a ghost. Now, is that a translation issue? I, I really don't know. Uh, again, see my previous comment about how I suspect that maybe the, the ancient people didn't really uh, discriminate between zombies or ghosts. Uh, but anyway, I, I kind of like to think uh, uh, that this boxer punched the ghost until it died, <laughs> but uh, I don't think that's really the case. In any case, there is only one of these, and it's probably a ghost. So I'm going to say not a zombie on this one. All right, so next let's jump forward to 12th century England. Here, a man named William of Newburgh wrote a work called History of English Affairs, which is, well, just what it sounds like. So in it, he talks about all kinds of things. Uh, some of it is what you would, you know, what you'd expect in, in a history. He talks about kings, conflicts, things like that. But he also talks about some really strange things, like he mentions at one point a pair of these green children that show up in a small town from apparently some kind of uh, unknown kingdom. Uh, he also talks about strange visions that people see in the sky, and he also talks about undead. Now, uh, William of Newburgh gives several different accounts of men who died, then came back, uh, sometimes attacking people or causing other problems. It's really interesting because uh, William himself seems pretty credible. And in most of his stories, uh, he, you know, he even kind of, um, he sort of mentions the weirdness of these tales. He, he sort of says, yeah, I know this sounds kind of strange, but this is what people told me, right? Um, so in any case, the undead in these stories, they definitely seem similar to zombies. They have bodies, they're aggressive. Uh, one of them seems to have a kind of limited invisibility power, which maybe disqualifies it from being a zombie, but the others don't have this. Uh, however, in each of these stories, there is only one, and it causes a lot of trouble. Now remember, zombies have to be several in number and generally not particularly dangerous alone, and these are the opposite of that. Uh, in fact, they're an example of what folklore experts sometimes call a revenant, uh, a dead body that has come back from the dead but isn't quite a vampire. Or maybe vampires are a kind of revenant? It's not exactly clear to me. I, I actually suspect vampires and zombies might be subclasses of revenants. Uh, and actually, I should mention at this point that you'll seldom hear historians or scholars use the word zombie. Zombie is mainly a pop culture term. Revenant is usually the go-to word for any corporeal undead, at least in a scholarly sense. Um, but in any case, these revenants that William of Newburgh describes seem more powerful than your typical garden variety zombie. All right, now let's move ahead to the 1700s. 
here we have lots of undead to talk about. So once again, let's go back to Greece. Yeah, here in the 1700s, people talked about something called a vrikolakas. Now, most surface level research on this topic will tell you that a vrikolakas is a sort of revenant that eats people's livers and is kind of similar to a vampire. However, I located an article in the 1942 issue of the Journal of American Folklore called Greek Accounts of the Vrikolakis, where a researcher named D. Demokratopoulos Lee tell, uh, retells various legends that he uh, or she, I'm not really sure from the name, uh, heard about the Vrikolakis. And they're very inconsistent, giving all sorts of different magical abilities to this monster. So to me, the Vrikolaka seems like more of a general Greek boogeyman than a zombie. Now, meanwhile, in the Scandinavian countries, we have various mentions of the undead. Uh, the Norse doomsday prophecy of Ragnarok mentions an army of the dead coming from Niflheim, the land of the dead. But like in the descent of Ishtar, it never really explains what these look like as far as I know, so we can't really say if they're zombies. But judging from the typical Norse view of undead that we'll examine in a bit, I'm going to say they're probably not. And so that brings us to the Draugr. Now, if you're a fan of the game Skyrim or, or God of War, you recognize this. And, and by the way, the Draugr in Skyrim, I think, are, are actual zombies, but the mythological ones, well, that's arguable. Now, if you haven't played Skyrim, but you have read The Lord of the Rings, you know these by another word, borrow whites. You see, a borrow or a how, that's B-A-R-R-O-W, it's a mound in which the Vikings buried their dead, and a white, W-I-G-H-T, is mm, a revenant, I guess. Anyway, Draugr have several other names, or, or maybe there are different monsters that are all kind of similar. Uh, anyway, sometimes you might hear them called Aptergangr or Gengangr. Uh, in any case, the Vikings had all kinds of stories about these things. Uh, in one of them, there are a pair of friends named Asmund and Aaron. Uh, Aaron dies, and Asmund decides to sit next to him for three nights in his barrow, along with Aaron's horse, dog, and hawk. Now, on the first night, Aaron, that's the dead guy, he gets up, kills and eats the dog and the hawk. On the next night, he eats the horse. And in the translation I read, it, it describes... Uh, it says he did it with a great crunching with his teeth, so the blood fell about the chops, that is, his, his lips and mouth. Then on the final night, Aaron rips off both, Asmund, uh, both of Asmund's ears, and Asmund has to kill Aaron by cutting his head off and burning the body. I, I, guess, uh, I guess he uh, should have just said no to drugs. Anyway, that, uh, that sounds a lot like a zombie to me, uh, but a couple of problems here. Now, first of all, once again, there is only one of them. Now, second, Draugr often have magical abilities. For example, in the Icelandic, uh, the Icelandic Gretis saga, there's a Draugr who curses a hero and makes him have bad luck and weakness for the rest of his life. Now, does uh, Aaron in... Uh, the legend we talked about earlier have magic powers? 
we can't really tell from the text, but uh, it, it does seem to be a general trait that Draugr have. Okay, well, what about if there are a bunch of Draugr together, um, like, a, like a big group of them, like a horde, right? Well, that actually happens in the saga of Hervor and Hadric. So here, a woman named Hervor goes to an island full of haunted barrows so she can get the magical cursed sword Tyrfing from the tomb of her father, Agantir. And this island is full of Draugr. Now, they don't attack Hervor, uh, and instead, she basically has to scold all of them, uh, including her dead father, who doesn't want to give her a cursed sword for obvious reasons. But she eventually convinces him. She says, give me Agantir from out the how, the danger of shields, Hjalmar's bane. Now, in any case, this shows a degree of rationality from these Draugr, so not zombies. All right, so are you still with me? We're still in the 1700s, but this time we're going to East Asia. So here we have the Jiangxi, or what Koreans call a Gangxi. Now, I'm not, just, uh, I'm not sure just how long this myth has been around, but the earliest record that I could find was in the 1798 publication called The Shadow Book of Ji Yoon. Now, Gangxis are popular in Asian cinema. My, my Korean family members were, were big fans of uh, classic Hong Kong Jiangxi uh, films, and they're portrayed as hopping undead. They, they jump around, okay? <laughs> um, so that now the, the Shadow Book of Ji Yoon doesn't mention the hopping part, but he does claim, uh, the author claims that they are risen corpses, and that furthermore, the weak ones can be killed fairly easily. Uh, in one of the accounts, he mentions uh, that Zhang Xi's can clearly talk, but that, quote, their emotions have soured and their thoughts gone feral. He also mentions a hunger for human flesh. Now, that sounds like a zombie to me, but he also mentions that they feed on the chi, or life energy of living things, and sometimes their flesh and blood too, leaving the dry husks of victims in their wake. And that sounds more like a vampire. So I'll have to put this one down as a maybe. But uh, according to some folk, folklore experts that I've, to, uh, that I've spoken to, uh, my wife and mother-in-law, uh, some gongshis can also fly and have magic abilities, which is more vampire-like than zombie-like. So final verdict, gongshis are vampires, not zombies. But I am open to debate on that one. All right, so let's jump ahead to 1818. This is when Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Now, Frankenstein, definitely not a zombie. He's made from different body parts and is unique. Plus, he's really smart in the book, but it is worth mentioning. And that takes us to H.P. Lovecraft. Now, if that name sounds familiar, Lovecraft was the, uh, he was uh, an author of pulp horror and the creator of the Cthulhu mythos which is about extra-dimensional aliens that make you go crazy. But he also wrote a lot of other horror stories, too. And in most of these, uh, the monsters don't really fit the zombie requirements for a number of reasons. But in 1920-22, inspired by Frankenstein, he wrote the story Herbert West, 
Reanimator. Now, in this story, the title character uses science to, well, reanimate the undead, um, and uh, or reanimate the dead. Then they become undead, right? Now, uh, over the course of the story, uh, there are various problems that occur with West's reanimated dead. Uh, for example, uh, one of the bodies gets loose and kind of eats a little girl, uh, but they're, they're just not quite classifiable as zombies. Uh, but then at the end, all of the, the various dead bodies that West reanimated over the years come for him. Then they, they pull him apart like a fried chicken and carry him off into the dark. Now, it's true that some of these monsters are smarter than others. Uh, part of uh, part of Herbert West's problem in the story is that the brains in the dead bodies, they've decayed, uh, leaving the reanimated corpses insane. But at least one of them seems to be logical. Now, also, before the end, before the end several of them act alone and kill quite a few people, uh, disqualifying them from the, from the, uh, the numerous and low-threat category. However, Many of them are insane from being brought back from the dead, and they all group together at the end of the story. So you have monsters with bodies uh, that are non-skeletal by nature, non-vampiric, illogical due to extraordinary means, and numerous. Bonus, some of them eat people. Boom. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, about seven years before William Seabrook published The Magic Island, uh, our first appearance of true zombies. Uh, due to H.P. Lovecraft. So, does that mean that Lovecraft invented the zombie? Well, that's a stretch. Remember, it was Seabrook who brought zombies to the attention of the mainstream. If Lovecraft had never existed, we would still have zombies. Uh, but, uh, had Seabrook not written his book, well, zombie history probably would have been completely different. And keep in mind that even Seabrook wasn't solely responsible for the idea of the zombie. Zombies had been in Haitian folklore long before Seabrook came along. It's just that he was the first to really document it and bring it to the attention of people outside of Haiti. Uh, all right, so there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, almost everything there is to know about zombies. You know, when I was a kid, zombies really terrified me. There was just something about a rotting dead human returned from the grave as a savage version of its former self that I found to be really unsettling. But over the years, this fear sort of turned into fascination. And so I really had a lot of fun researching this topic. I hope you had fun learning about it. Thanks again, everyone, and I hope to see you again. Bye-bye.